0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Good morning, Rock of Gainesville. How are you all doing today? Great. Good, good. My name is Hector. I'm one of the pastors here at The Rock of Gainesville. And it is a joy to be here with you today. For those of you tuning in online, thank you for watching, for engaging with us. I charge you and challenge you, let's get in the word together and see what God would have to say to us today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, as I have been praying for our time together today, I've been led to continue to promote hope. For those of you who were here with us last weekend, Pastor Jimmy Hughes encouraged us To know and remember that God has the final word, despite what we see. And in these troubled times, in these troubled times, with all the pain, the suffering, the affliction, the wickedness that we see in the world around us, and hear me, the wickedness that we see in ourselves, we need hope. I need hope. You need hope. So today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I've prayed that you would see God's incredible love for you in the power that he demonstrates in and through the story of Joseph, so that in the end, your hope in God is strengthened. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let me pray and we'll get started. Father, the story of Joseph is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. In it, we find hope in times of trouble. In it, we discover that you are truly sovereign over all things. The story is full of Christ. So I pray, Lord, that we will learn more about you today. I pray that we would be moved to have greater trust in you, despite what we see going on around us, simply because you love us. And there is nothing greater than your love for us in all the universe. And so I pray that we would know that more today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, the story of Joseph is found in the book of Genesis from chapters 37 through 50. Lots of chapters there uh, dedicated to telling one of the most incredible stories, like I said earlier, in the Bible. I have loved going through the story of Joseph once again this year, and I pray that you will be encouraged today. But before we get into the story of Joseph, we're going to back up to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abram to be the father of his chosen people. And in verses 2 and 3, God makes Abram this promise. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is the very beginning of the people of Israel, from whom, as we all know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would descend from and enter into human history to save us from our sins. Now, a few chapters later, in chapter 15, God makes a formal covenant with Abram. And in verses 13 through 16, he says this Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out. With great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. So, at the very beginning of God's covenant relationship with his chosen people, God predicts a 400 year stay in Egypt filled with affliction before they return to the promised land. Now he has many reasons as to why that is, and they glorify him and ultimately benefit his people. But this affliction before promise covenant for the people of Israel as a whole is a macroscopic picture that is similar in pattern to the microscopic picture that we're about to see in the life of Joseph. It is also similar in pattern to the glorious global picture that will be revealed in the suffering work of our triumphant Savior, Jesus Christ. So question, what does this pattern look like to you? Is it not a picture Of your life. It's a picture of my life. Yes, I have experienced triumphs, but there has also been affliction in my life. So when God plans 400 years of affliction for his people before the promised land, we're not surprised. We're not surprised because we read and know things like Acts chapter 14, verse 22, where Paul, on his first missionary journey around to the early church, is It says this, he's strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Read that again. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. So to hijack a Popular phrase from all my Star Wars Mandalorian friends, this is the way. I couldn't resist. But we all know narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. But how many of you are grateful for God's sustaining presence through it all? God is with us and he is with Joseph. So let's zoom into Joseph, the Kickstarter of this sojourn in Egypt. And here's a question that we're going to ask together today. And I want you to personalize it and repeat after me. What does God, what does God want to teach me about his ways, about his ways. in this story? To fill me with hope hope. in times of trouble. trouble. And I'll go ahead and just give you the answer up front so that you can kind of carry it with you throughout our time together. God's loving sovereignty is greater than sin. God's loving sovereignty is greater than sin. So I'm going to give you a snapshot of the life of Joseph. Now keep in mind, this is... A lot of chapters to cover, so I've condensed it down to 22 points. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, we'll go through it quickly. All right, so first up, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, whose name is later changed by God to Israel, hence the people of Israel. And Jacob has 12 sons. Who became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now one of Jacob's 12 sons is his favorite. And his name is Joseph. Now he loves him more because he is his son in his old age. But also because he was the firstborn son to his favorite wife, Rachel. A lot of drama there. <laughs> We're going to say that for another time. Secondly, number two. As a teenager, Joseph had two dreams. And in one dream, sheaves that they were bundling in the field, belonging to his 11 brothers, bowed down to Joseph's sheave. And in the second dream, symbolically, it also includes his mom and dad, represented by the sun and the moon, and also the 11 stars representing his brothers, also bowed down to Joseph. Number three, Joseph's brothers were filled with hatred. Now they hated him already because, you know, he was the favorite. But now in hearing these dreams, they hated him even more. Now, here's a serious point that we have to get. Sin was crouching at the door of the hearts of all 11 brothers, desiring to master them, and it did. You see, the feelings that they had toward their brother Joseph was pure evil. It was complete wickedness. And so the day finally came, number four, where Joseph's brothers release their rage. Against him. Now, that came about because Jacob sent Joseph out into the field to check in on his brothers and to check in on the flocks. And his brothers see him coming and they say this in Genesis chapter 37, verse 19 and 20. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. They will say that a fierce, then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Number five, older firstborn brother Reuben steps in and he tries to save Joseph. Reuben tries to save Joseph by convincing the other brothers not to kill him but to only throw him into a pit. See, because Reuben had a plan to come back later on and rescue his brother Joseph out of the pit and restore him back to their father. But Reuben, while he was away, number six, his other 10 brothers decided to sell Joseph as a slave to a passing caravan. They sell Joseph as a slave to a caravan of Ishmaelites. We know who they are. From the land of Midian who are headed toward Egypt. So Joseph is now gone. Reuben missed his opportunity. Number seven. So now the brothers have to go back to the house. And they have to tell Jacob a lie. The brothers lie to their father, Jacob. The sins are compounding. See, they had kept a special coat, and they soaked it in animals' blood, and they ripped it and tore it apart, and they handed it to their father, who assumes that Joseph was eaten by wild animals, and his heart absolutely breaks. And then number eight, the brothers believe that's the end of that dreamer. But they have no idea about what's actually happening here. They're absolutely clueless to the mighty, loving, invisible hand of God upon this unfolding story. So you see, they they don't even know that their very efforts to destroy the dreamer are actually bringing about the dreams of the dreamer. I think it's incredible how often God works in this way. He'll take the sinful actions of man and make them the means by which the sinful themselves will be delivered. What are we learning about his ways? To me, that speaks of power, it speaks of sovereignty. Oh, how high are his ways and how high are his thoughts above our thoughts. This is the God we get to serve. And it fills me with hope. See, we're starting to see this in Joseph's story. And if you know the Bible, you'll see it in the story of the people of Israel too. When hundreds of years from this point, right, Joseph has just been sold into slavery. Hundreds of years from this point they'll be delivered out of the affliction imposed on them by a sinful, pagan nation. And God will deliver them by a man named Moses. And we'll see it again in Jesus, who embodies God's loving rescue of the sinful. When on the darkest, most sin-filled day in all of human history, he laid down his life for you and me, sinners, so that we would be delivered. We call that day Good Friday. So you see a macro picture, you see the microscopic picture, and you see the global picture. There's a pattern. Number nine, back to Joseph's story. Potiphar buys Joseph. Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh. He's the captain of the guard and he decides to buy Joseph as a slave for his home. And now despite all of this affliction happening to Joseph, number 10, the Lord is with Joseph. He is so with Joseph. That he blesses Potiphar's house because of Joseph. Joseph serves him faithfully and rises in trust and influence that ultimately Potiphar sets him in charge of his entire household. You see, God sustained Joseph in the affliction. And Joseph is also a really good looking young man. He's a really good-looking guy. Number 11, because of it, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. The Bible says she tried day after day. And Joseph, right away, would not do it. He said, I will not commit this great wickedness and sin against God. Joseph did what the Bible tells you and I to do, which is to flee. Listen. If you need to hear that word today, hear it. Forget that good smelling cologne. Forget that good smelling perfume. Forget that longing gaze. Ignore that attention and do what Joseph did. Run. Flee. Don't mess with it. It will destroy you. That was for somebody today. So number 12, in the face of this holy rejection, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, I should say, viciously, viciously slanders him. Ugly. She leans on racial tensions that existed then between Egyptians and Hebrews, and she straight up lies about him. Joseph, who had served her household so faithfully for so many years, she lies about him. How evil. Have you ever been slandered? It happened to Joseph. Have you ever slandered someone else? It's ungodly. It's ugly. I like to think that's possibly the reason why Potiphar's wife remains nameless in the Bible. Number 13. Potiphar believes his wife and Joseph is falsely imprisoned. Now there's something here. Joseph did everything right. And he was still Put in prison. That's interesting. To me, that blows that prosperity gospel theology stuff right out the window. Right there. Put in prison. Number fourteen. Joseph serves the jailer faithfully. Again, God is with Joseph and he serves the faithful excuse me the jailer faithfully and even though he is totally unaware of what God is doing in this misery that he's experiencing he's given great trust and great responsibility and is ultimately put in charge of the jail he oversees the jail everything that Joseph touched God made succeed and then enter number 15 Two new prisoners, representatives of Pharaoh's food and beverage industry. (laughs) The cupbearer and the baker. The baker and the cupbearer. And these guys on one night, they had separate troubling dreams. And Joseph being the loving prison caretaker, he comes to them, hey guys, why are you so downcast? He's like, oh, we, we both had really bad dreams. And we have no one here to interpret. And Joseph tells them, listen, interpretation belongs to God. And knowing that the spirit of God is with him, he said, why don't you go ahead and tell me. And then Joseph rightly interprets both of their dreams. One good, saying, hey, listen, in three days you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh. That's the cupbearer." And then one not so good. In three days you're going to be executed, buddy. Those pastries were burnt. I don't know what offense he did, but anyways. So, before the cupbearer goes, Joseph says, Hey, listen, man, put in a good word for me with Pharaoh. I don't want to be in this prison anymore. And as soon as the, car- the, the, the cupbearer walked out, totally forgot. He forgot for two more years. I mean, talk about having it rough. So, Ultimately, Pharaoh has his own set of dreams and the cupbearer at that point remembers Joseph and Joseph is brought out of prison. And number 16, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Now Joseph interprets the dreams rightly and so convincingly for Pharaoh. Now through the dream God has revealed that it's going to be or what's about to take place is Seven good, plentiful years followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph's wisdom on how to navigate what's about to happen causes Pharaoh to acknowledge the spirit of God in Joseph so much so that he elevates Joseph to the next point, second in command. Joseph becomes second in command. Greater than all is now Joseph, except as it pertains to the throne of Egypt, which belongs to Pharaoh. And then, number 18, just like he interpreted, seven years of plenty come first. Now, Joseph, during those plentiful seven years, he gathers reserves of grains and stuffs them into storehouses in all the cities across Egypt. It's a lot. It's so much grain that he just stops measuring it. And then number 19, the seven years of famine hit. And because of the wisdom of God in Joseph, he prevented starvation. He prevented starvation by opening up the storehouses of grain and giving it to the people. The Bible says that they came from all the earth to Egypt to buy grain, including, number 20, Joseph's brothers. Jacob was like, hey, I hear they have grain in Egypt. What are you boys sitting around here for? We're starving. Get up and go. Buy some grain. And so Joseph's brothers come to Egypt. And now this is the climactic part of the story. This is like, you feel it. When you're reading and you're like, yes, you read it. Get him, Joseph, get him, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. See, actually, they don't recognize Joseph. He's probably all up in his Egyptian garb. He's got an entourage around him, right? But Joseph recognizes them. And he doesn't give it away immediately. Actually, he chooses to speak harshly to them through the interpreter, even though he understands everything that they're saying because Joseph still speaks Hebrew. So he tests them. And you feel the tension here. I mean, Joseph does have the power to crush them. But he's actually just getting more information. More information about his father and his full brother, Benjamin. And he decides he wants to see Ben. So he says, listen, if this younger brother who's not with you is a real person, I'm going to keep this one, that was Simeon, I'm going to keep him here. You guys go, bring Benjamin back. Okay? So the brothers go, they have grain, and Joseph does some, what I think is some fun stuff. He returns their payments back to them in their sacks, right? And they, they find and It causes a little bit of worry in them. They're like, oh, God is judging us, right? But ultimately, after, um, after some time, Jacob is heartbroken to hear that they kept Simeon. And he's really anxious about letting Ben go. And uh, ultimately, they need more grain. So he says, hey, go back and take Benjamin with you. So then they come, and Joseph hosts them for a very lavish meal. He gives Benjamin extra portions. Okay? And then, number 21, here comes the moment. Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. And they are absolutely stunned. They're speechless. And he tells them to go back and get their dad because there are still five years of famine left. And so after arranging the best land in Egypt with Pharaoh, number 22, last one, Joseph moves his family to Egypt. All 70 of them. And he gets to hug his dad again. Now I may... 22 points, or I summarize this story in 22 points because it was 22 years. 22 years from when Joseph last saw his dad. 22 years. 22 years since his brothers wickedly sought to kill him and ended up selling him into slavery. 22 years for this God dream to be Realized, But here's the important part. It came to pass. It came to pass. And after hearing that, how many of you just want to shout, knowing full well that God's ultimate purpose in your life will not be thwarted. It won't be. These brothers, they tried to get rid of the dreamer. And in getting rid of him, they actually fulfilled his dreams. His brothers bowed to Joseph. And in God's sovereign plan, Jacob's family is saved from the famine. And the fulfillment of the covenant prophecy, the covenant promise to Abraham that his seed would sojourn in Egypt for 400 years finally begins. God is incredible. So what can we learn about God's ways as it relates to the sin we see in Joseph's story? Well, we've discovered that the people of Israel, 70 of them, get to Egypt by means of attempted murder, slave dealing, heartless deceit of an old father, lust-filled slander and scorn, a little bit of forgetfulness. These are all the wrongdoings and sins that we see going on in Joseph's life. Now, What does the Bible say about God's hand over all of these means? So two things. God's sovereignty in the story of Joseph. God sent. We're going to look at Genesis 45. And God meant. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 50. So first up, God sent. In Genesis 45, verses 4 and 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. This is the moment where he's about to reveal himself to his brothers. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Don't miss it. God sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, Joseph, who has the Spirit of God within him, describes the sinful actions of his brothers as God's sending of Joseph to Egypt to eventually elevate him so that he can save them, his sinful brothers the very ones who wanted to kill him because they mattered to God too. They mattered to God too. See, you cannot miss the intentionality here. If you want to learn how to spell the intentionality here, this is how you would spell it, L-O-V-E, love. You see, God loves his people fiercely, God loves his chosen people fiercely. God loves his church fiercely. God loves the Rock of Gainesville fiercely. God loves you fiercely. This is God. His sovereignty is so full of mercy and love, and it's all wrapped up in this indescribable power that's accomplishing the exact purposes in our lives and it should it should leave us awestruck it should leave us awestruck and it should fill us with more love for god it should fill us with more hope in god god is in control despite what you see around you god is in control And he is executing his perfect goodwill. Goodwill. In your life and in the lives of those that you care about, God is sovereign over it all. Secondly, God meant. In Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 19 and 20, uh, the father who is now in Egypt, Jacob, Israel, is now dead. And fearing vengeance, the 11 brothers come up with this message that they send to Joseph saying that this message was from their dad to Joseph. And I paraphrase, the message said, hey, Joseph, forgive your brothers. And this is Joseph's response in 19 and 20 of Genesis chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The brothers meant the sale of Joseph for evil, but God meant it for good. They meant to kill Joseph. But God meant it to save them from famine and kickstart the covenant promise that he made with Abraham. That's what God meant it for. For good. And now he's going to multiply them like crazy in Egypt. By the time hundreds of years from now that they exodus out of Egypt, there's going to be millions of them. God is going to be present with them and sustain them in the affliction. It won't be easy, but God will be with them. And so we learn that every evil plotted against Joseph, God overruled from the start. God overruled it from start to finish in order to accomplish his goodwill. So what does this say about God? It says he's all powerful, church. It says he's all powerful. There is no situation in your life that is too complicated, too difficult for God. God is all powerful. It says that he's preeminent. It says that he's preeminent over your sin, over the sins of those around you. He's preeminent over the sins of our nation and the world. God is sovereign. It says he's sovereign over your sin, my sin, the sins of others, the sins of this nation, the sins of the world. God is over it all. And that's comforting. It's comforting. This is who God is. He is performing his goodwill for his glory and our joy. And I pray that it fills you with hope. And last few thoughts before I close. My favorite parts of Joseph's story is in the ways that it points to Jesus. Joseph's story reminds me that Jesus suffered for my sinful actions in order to save me. Jesus suffered the punishment of your sinful actions in order to save you. You see, Joseph was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And Joseph's story also highlights that Joseph was a pretty righteous guy. I mean, it's kind of remarkable, really. There's no complaining. He doesn't break out into despair. It's actually pretty impressive. Yet Jesus was even more righteous, perfectly righteous. And like Joseph, he was also sinned against. And in the end, both were vindicated. Joseph, through elevation, saved his family. And Jesus, through the resurrection, saves the whole world. Saves anyone who would believe in him. So Jesus is the better Joseph. And lastly, Joseph's story directly reminds me that Jesus is a descendant of the bloodline of one of his brothers, Judah. In Genesis chapter 49... We find the moment. I would argue the moment that this entire story is about. And it doesn't really have anything to do with Joseph. It has something to do with Judah. We're grateful for Joseph. We're grateful for God's sovereign plan in Joseph's life. But there's something significant about this moment that we're going to see with Judah. So Jacob, now preserved from starvation, before he passes away, he finally has all his sons near to him. Right before he passes away, he speaks prophetic blessings over each of his sons. And when he gets to Judah, son number four, he speaks by the spirit of God and releases this Prophetic royal promise about the coming of Jesus. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Don't miss this royal regal language. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The tribe of Judah was preserved from extinction so that the lion of Judah Jesus Christ would ultimately be born, die, and rise from the grave as king forever. None of this could have happened if these sinful brothers would have died in the famine. So the answer that I gave you at the very beginning of our time together, God's loving sovereignty is greater than sin. beautiful it's absolutely beautiful that we serve such a loving God such a loving gracious God the Lion of Judah came to be the Lamb of God that was slain he has been and always will be church hear me our hope in times of trouble Jesus knows trouble all too well. Yet he rules over it. And he's present with us through any affliction. And we get to benefit greatly from it because he is love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's a treasure. Your word is a treasure. Thank you for teaching us today that you are sovereign over affliction in our lives and that you rule over it to our benefit and your glory. God, we are remembered, we are reminded, I should say, of Psalm 119 verse 67 that says, before I was afflicted I went astray but now I keep your word God help us to see that there is purpose in affliction help us to see that that purpose is to drive us closer to you to have greater trust in you help us to know that that purpose is to drive us and drive us to your word and treasure it Stories like Joseph's in the Bible encourage us. And Romans 15 verse 4 says it best. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. God, our hope is in you. We thank you for our time together in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen, amen Amen. amen and amen. amen. I want to go ahead and take a moment for those of you whose hope is not anchored in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to know him who is sovereignly watching over your life and powerfully pursuing your heart. With everybody's heads bowed, believers praying, if that's you, if you would say that you don't know Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer, as the one who gives you purpose in life, whether you're in this building or you're watching online, I want to take this moment, this opportunity to invite you into a relationship with him. So if that's you, grant me the opportunity to recognize you by simply raising your hand. On the count of three, if that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, sir, I want to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. The church family is going to repeat with us in recognition of the powerful declaration that you've made today as a symbol of their heart's cry that celebrates with the work of God in your life. So church, sir, repeat after me. God, I am a sinner. And I need you to save me. Thank you for making a way through your son Jesus Christ for me to have life and that life more abundantly. Jesus, I confess you. To be Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you are the Son of God who came to the earth to live a life that I could not live. And to die a death I should have died. I receive you now as my King forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Give it up for God's saving work. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.